Oh my goodness, talk about commitment. We are two for two. I'm James Tiley with Cyber FM. And we're doing a crossover of conversations with Pierre Bork. We're really uh, hoping this works out well, but it looks like two for two. I mean, you're asking a lot from me, and so far I've done it. What do you think, Pierre? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love the fact, uh, James, first of all, have, I hope you're having a good day. Uh, great to, uh, to have you back on Crossover and for me to be back with you on Crossover. So it is a crossover uh, between Cyber FM and Blockchain Radio. So much going on in this space. Uh, I don't know where to start. I'm, I'm just, here's, here's where my mind's at. And you can tell me where we go from here. But the last couple of weeks, I don't know if it's Beeple mania or whatever, but my, my head's been in the space of NFTs. And as an artist, I'm just kind of focused on that so much. And it's such an exciting froth that's going on here. But, you know, where this goes downstream beyond art, that's what really intrigues me as well. I wonder, and, and from your perspective, James, where do you think NT, N, NFTs go within society at large? Um, well, when you talk about artwork, which you had me looking at the, um, the there was a tribute that I think you had done to the uh, deleted people. Um, but when I look at, which I almost accidentally wound up buying an NFT that was not what I thought it was, but I, I, you got me looking at them, right? I'm into it and into the idea, but I feel like it's more of a virtual Sotheby's, right? Where we would show up and, and maybe bid on art. And this might be the way to future in terms of, in terms of bidding or, you know, a marketplace like Sotheby's auctions in terms of, in terms of art. Now I know the NFTs can cover practically anything. But I do believe you're on to something with artwork being a, uh, a foreshadow of maybe a, a primary target. Have you bought your first NFT yet? No, no. I, I practiced making one. I wanna, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an artistic guy in theory ever. I don't think it requires online or offline. I love the New York Times black and white words. You throw a photo in a newspaper and I'm screwed up. So when it comes to artwork, I am just, I'm like, yeah, I'll stay. You know that scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where they take off and they, they go to the Museum of, of Art in, in Chicago and they're staring at the painting and they tilt their head. That, that's about what I, maybe it looks different if I just look this way. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I got a couple of trains here, uh, trains of thought. And the first one is this, you know, I just got through watching uh, a short series of shows on Netflix. I forget the actual name of it, but essentially it's Fran Lebowitz, who is a humorist that lives in New York City. And I wasn't sure I'd like it, but I actually do like it. And I found that her, her ability to speak and to be so fast with her mind, there's an artistic talent to that. I would bet because of that, uh, that perception that I, I think I've now embedded is that the spoken word and the use of the words and phraseologies and all of that, uh, contextually, of course, uh, is an art. And I think you've got that with Cyber FM. And I think that you've got that with what you're doing yourself when you're on the air at Cyber FM. And so you and I now well, let's start we, selling this show. We'll start the bidding off at a quarter of an ETH. 
<laughs> well, you know, we're not too far off of that. I sat in, I sat in on an event that Blockchain Radio sponsors uh, that's put on by Draper Gorin Holm. These are um, these are VCs in the crypto space. They're based in California, Los Angeles, I believe, and it's part of Tim Draper's um, world, right? So. Uh, lots and lots of tentacles out into different areas of technology, Silicon Valley and what have you. And these guys had um, something on NFTs a few weeks ago, and they had one of the more famous NFT artists right now um, by the name of Fawoches, and I'm not mispronouncing that. It's F-E-W, and I forget the rest of how you spell it, but it's Fawoches. Um, and the other person whose name escapes me is actually a musician. So Fawoches was talking about um, the art produced which was visual. The other person it was a musician and was talking about creating NFTs with the music to the point that not only would you have an NFT of the actual thing that you were listening to, but it could also be in this person's interpretation, an NFT of the sound wave file. So not something you listen to, but something you actually look at, which is the sound, you know, the sound wave from left to right. Uh, when you and I are recording this, there's a sound wave that comes off of that. There's a sound file. And that person was saying that can also be an NFT. And where does that take you from this point forward? So you can extrapolate. It could be internet intellectual property. It could be musical notes. It could be whatever. It's really fascinating. So, so there is a now. Now you're talking about my business, and there is a problem with NFTs in the music industry. And so, what you brought up is actually a fair point. A lot of musicians are being told that they can NFT their music and receive copyright royalties. And to be completely point blank honest, that is misleading and it is not the case. And we're having trouble, at least over in my neck of the woods, in properly explaining that to musicians that are A, not necessarily crypto savvy, and B, not necessarily open-minded enough to understand crypto. So exactly, if you are uh, an up-and-coming artist or King Zillion, which I think we talked about last week, if you're going to sell an NFT for your artwork, it's going to have to consist of not only the audio file, but it's going to have to consist of maybe the music video or a T-shirt or something that comes in play with your identity. Because if I was to buy an NFT just for a single, you know, you, you know when I grew up, you, you, you went out and bought a single and, and that $1.99 went into the artist's pocket. We're telling musicians that NFTs do that. But what we're not telling the musicians is that it's also Napster. Because once I own that MP3, I, I could either resell it for a profit or just give it to you. We haven't accomplished anything. We haven't fixed the financial resource problem or what we call in the music industry the value gap in terms of earning for your artwork. And when so CyberFM, which you're familiar with, we have the other um, product where we complement and we supplement artists for royalties. We don't replace NFTs. We are not competing with NFTs. But I think it's very important that musicians understand NFTs. And that is, if you write a song and you record it and you place your MP3 in an NFT, 
you still need that off-chain protection. And that is not coming out of the box with an NFT. You still need that protection to follow you once your song is out in the wild with all of the major radio networks or streaming platforms. It's going to take years for a streaming platform to come up to the speed of cyber FM with blockchain. But, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm joking, but I'm only half joking. It's going to be a long time before you hear about, you know, opening up a Pandora's box of blockchain technology for ease access, easy access to all musicians. So to summarize that, and you got me on my bandwagon, on my soapbox, the NFTs, like you had brought up earlier, have to be multimedia. They have to have a value add. Because if they're just a song, it's not going to solve the problem that we are telling people that it does solve. And we want this technology, which is wonderful, to get off on a good transparent foot. That's well, let my me, soapbox. Yeah, well, no, that's where we're here. That's, this is our soapbox. <laughs> I love it. This is our soapbox, so, um, which we're sharing. So let me ask you this. You um, prefaced what you've just said by... Um, telling us that you almost bought an NFT. So let me ask you, what prompted you to get to the point of wanting to buy an NFT? Uh, was it simply to learn the medium, to understand what was going on in the space? Or was it uh, a genuine desire to say, you know what, I want to buy one. I want to buy one and I'm going to buy others. And what the heck, I'm going to have a little collection or maybe I'm going to get into trading them. I don't know. But what was the motivation there? So I stumbled upon it on accident with a... Uh in a telegram room about NFTs because I'm learning about NFTs. And this guy had said, I'm selling, uh, he posted a photo of what we call a 502 cubic inch, big block Chevy V8, Cadillac really. And, and I was like, Oh, awesome. And he had a little thing in the description, like no check engine light. One's great powerhouse. Right. So I'm out building right now. I'm a car guy. And I just picked up my 1965 Chevy C10 pickup truck. Yeah, you told me and about I'm out that. shopping, and I got I got plenty of funny stories about already using Amazon.com for for parts. So here's this guy with an NFT, and I know that NFTs could consist of tangible, potentially tangible items. So when he was saying this is a 502 big block, no check engine light, one's great blah, 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 I said to my, and it was one ETH, one Ethereum, which at the time is like 1700 bucks US. And I said to myself, FOMO. It was my first example of FOMO because I said to myself, this guy is going to let me give him an ETH. Now I'm going to get a 502. I mean, I'm done with the truck then. That's a 600 horsepower 502 Cadillac in you know, powering his truck. And as I looked into it more, and I consider myself a pretty savvy guy, regardless of the industry, automotive or crypto, at first glance, I was not buying what turned out to be a very blinged out multimedia image of a 502 big block. I would have been pissed if I had spent an ETH on a photo of something that I was going to put in my truck. Oh my gosh. Imagine Scotch taping that to the dashboard and going, well, there's $1,700 well spent. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Maybe you could have made a an NFT of that. You know, like if it was a, some kind of an imagery you could pick up, not not of the big block, but of the actual payment for that. Yeah. Right. That that would have been the the receipt would have been like my first mistake. Can I tell you how I got into um, NFTs? Now, well, you're an artist, right? Didn't you make one in Bitcoin itself? Yeah, and I've been doing. So look, I got into the crypto space 2013, 2014. 2013, I think, is when I first took notice of it. 2014, next thing you know, I'm on the board of directors of the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada, along with uh, guys that have gone on to, to greater glory in the space, like Anthony Diorio, who was the chair of the board when I was there, and he went on to be a co-founder of Ethereum. Uh, Michael Perklin, right, right. who's such a fantastic... Uh, uh, crypto and blockchain security expert. He's at Shapeshift right now, a big wig there. And um, Stu Hochner. Stuart was our legal counsel, and Stuart's the chief legal counsel over at Bitfinex, which is a big one of the big exchanges. So just a tremendous front row seat. So all along here, I'm watching this happening, and I think you know this is a cultural shift that's happening. This is going to have an impact the way I remember the early days of the internet uh, showed promise to have an impact, and boy, hasn't it! And I, I think we can say now in hindsight that boy hasn't uh, blockchain and crypto started to, uh, to throw its weight around. And I think that's only beginning. So look, I'm thinking about it and I'm an artist. I'm wondering, and I think, well, all big societal uh, moments have a certain degree of cultural support and parallels to that. So I thought, I wonder if I can apply my artistic interest to chronicle some of the people in the, in the events and places and the, um, the imageries uh, uh, to, uh, to what I do now and, and I'll do that. So I did that and I'll cut it short here, but I, I started to get some media coverage of that. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine featured my work and, uh, and, and so I, I got a degree of notoriety that, that surprised me, but I, I, was, I was proud of that and it was fun. And okay, it opened up uh, opportunities to uh, market my work. And so I was, I was grateful and happy with that. So fast forward to last week, last week, maybe 10 days ago, um, and James, here, there I am, I'm watching this fascination and we've had shows on blockchain radio about NFT where our hosts are talking to, uh, about the phenomenon, but at a sort of much greater reduced thing. But in the last month, things have accelerated quite a bit. So I've been postponing the act of trying to figure out if NFTs would work from my vantage for myself. And, um, so last week, 10 days ago, I say, you know what, I got to learn up, bone up, I got to do it myself. So I Google crypto art NFT and up pop a bunch of stories, recent stories. And I see a story from Bitcoin Magazine. So I have an affinity towards them given my, my history with them. And I click on that link and lo and behold, there's my own artwork at the top of that news story. And so nice. I, said, <laughs> I said, that's there my, I am. That's my story. That's my reason to to move here. There's a there's an act of there's an act of serendipity that's occurred here. And I got to get off my duff. So here I am with a few NFTs. And that's life. That's life. Yeah, basically, they're like, we're going to throw you in there. So you're going to have to do it. Now, my question for you is because I know you're an actual artist and and this is probably where I don't shine. Right. But if you were to sell, so, so for real, you're in your, your studio and you paint out an image called uh, wheelchair in back of a truck <laughs> and, and, you, and, you, and I'm, I inspired you. 
So now you, you paint this and you go and you sell it, like I said, at Sotheby's, right? In, in the NFT world, how would you go about, and, and maybe this is a question that you pose to a, a colleague, how would you go about encrypting a certificate of authenticity to designate that you have created that painting and this is the virtually tangible version of it? Um, I think that's where the NFT value would come in. Yeah, and I think that's an extremely valid question and i don't think most people um are thinking about that neither from the creation perspective or the collection perspective collector perspective if you, if you will or the media that now is suddenly really starting to focus on what's going on in this space and i'll tell you why is because right now you are learning that if i take a piece of artwork and I mint it, that's the terminology to create the NFT, you're minting the NFT. And you, at that moment, that genesis moment of, of, um, of minting it, of creating it as an NFT, you have a choice of whether it's going to be singular, a real non-fungible, there's just the one, or it's going to be a limited series, which are also NFTs, <laughs> which kind of is an oxymoron in a way. You've got uh, a non-fungible that's actually fungible to a degree, but it's, it's contained, right? It's, it's, it's contained and constrained by the, um, the parameters that you've dictated when you created it. So in my case, because I've got a degree of media coverage on my stuff, when I put my stuff up, I can point to the fact that it's been reported that I created this stuff. So that's a sort of a third party tacit endorsement that I'm the guy who created this stuff, at least the stuff that it was reported on. The newer stuff, if I were just to take the, the image of the wheelchair in the back of the pickup truck and uh, claimed it as my own and posted it to, um, to uh, the blockchain via the creation of an NFT and the minting act, the act of minting, then I'm first to do that. And it becomes, I think, one of reputation. It's a reputational um, degree that's implemented and uh, that has the impact so do you believe this guy to say that he created it or does james pop out of the woodwork at some point and say hey wait a minute i actually did that i created that thing what the heck are you doing claiming it was you and i think that actually is pervasive within the art world going back to time immemorial when people mad when people cared about who created a piece of art and I think that's transcending here. Now, how do you how do you go to that certificate of authenticity? Do you take it to a notary? Do you take it to a lawyer? Do you get a stamp from the authorities? That I don't know, but the people haven't really thought about that yet. It seems to me that just we're perpetuating to a degree um, a problem, a societal problem within the art community. And we haven't uh, really had a conversation about that. We just assume that whoever minted it is the creator of that art. Right, I'm guessing that the transaction hash from the the Genesis, the zero zero address where it gets created out, say you're looking on Etherscan, that's that would play a vital role as the certificate number. But then that remaining argument of whether or not you took a photo of the painting that you saw or you create there's I guess there's a crossover in the virtual and the real world because artwork is going to have to head how we all know the guy that bought the fake van gogh at one point right 
Yeah, or flip it around. And the person who, um, a couple of instances, one that I remember, I forget who the artist was, uh, who had in their attic or discovered uh, in an attic a uh, painting that turned out to be, maybe it was a Van Gogh. Let's just assume it was a Van Gogh. But it, it might well be that the person who owned it didn't know it was a Van Gogh. It was something that was handed down or they bought the, they themselves bought it at a yard sale or something. They just, that, would be, that would be me. <laughs> well, that would be me going, I don't know what the hell is this. So there's, it's two-pronged, right? And if, um, if any of our listeners knows their contemporary art history, um, they'll, they may know that there was a uh, very famous uh, couple. There were a couple of very famous contemporary artists, American. Uh, one was named Robert Rauschenberg, and the other one was named Willem de Kooning. De Kooning, at the time of this particular little anecdote here, was the most famous contemporary artist in the world. And Robert Rauschenberg was a nobody who went on to greater glory. Um, but at the moment that this particular story happened, that was the circumstance. One guy was the most famous, the other guy was unknown. And Rauschenberg knocks on de Kooning's door and says, I got an idea here and I'm wondering if you'll follow me. I want to take one of your piece, one of your sketches and I want to erase it. And I want that to be the creation of my art. That, I want that to be my thing. It's an erased de Kooning. And the Kooning looked at him and said, are you out of your mind? Well, by fortuitous uh, luck, Rauschenberg had brought along a bottle of whiskey or bourbon. And the two of them proceeded to have that conversation in a philosophical way. And at the bottom of the bottle, the Kooning relented and said, all right, I'll tell you what, you can, uh, you can take one of my pieces of art, one of my sketches, and erase it. And you're okay, you can do that. So, so Rauschenberg said, look, just take the one you like least. Like, that's okay. I just want one. It doesn't matter which one. And the Koenig thought about that for a moment. He says, no. He says, for this to make sense here, for this to mean something, it's got to be the one I actually like the most. <laughs> so he says, he, he, went, he ruffled through his, his, uh, his stuff and pulled out the one he liked the most. He says, this is the one you can delete. And Rauschenberg deleted that. And that became actually a phenomenal moment in the history of, of um, contemporary art. And this, this artwork by Rauschenberg was created. It was called erased de Kooning. So what I did in that context is when Beeple, this guy who sold his, uh, his creation 5,000 days at Christie's auction house, you were talking a moment ago, James, about Sotheby's. So Christie's is their, their primary competitor across the street, uh, sold uh, a Beeple NFT for $69.7 million and uh, to a guy in Singapore who was bidding and outbidded Justin Sun from Tron. And that's a whole other story. But so anyways, that piece of artwork, I pulled up on my screen and I deleted it. I deleted it from my screen, creating a void. And then I created a, an image of the void space that had just been vacated by the, by the deletion of the Beeple. And I created a void space that I've called Beeple Deleted. So I've created an NFT of that, of avoided people. I've posted it uh, to Rarible. And uh, yesterday or two days ago, I posted a tweet about it. And um, the uh, head art critic of the Wall Street Journal saw it, liked it, and retweeted it, and is now following me. And uh, I think it's gotten, you know, 1,500, 1,800 views in the last 24 hours. So there you go. It's just an interesting space from a creative perspective. 
It's very much like a game of chess, it sounds to me. You're like, okay, next move. Yeah. Well, all right. So you didn't buy the big block on that point. What is your next move in this game of chess? What will you do about NFTs? Uh, you know, I'm actually tempted to probably maybe if I'm if I'm good with cars and maybe disabilities, maybe I'll do something like that. Right. I I always have that whole prove a point type attitude. I I will get into NFTs. I mean, everybody's getting into it. I might as well do the whole fear of missing out. But I, but I would want it to be I would want it to be unique and cool. Like I'm just not going to open up Microsoft Paint and be like, "Here's my NFT." So yeah, and I think uh, I think you know that that brings it full circle to what you had said at the outset about provenance, or what you were saying about provenance, is that certificate of authenticity and whether that um, projects onto that piece of artwork some degree of value on the provenance um, because a lot of the stuff in the NFT world is it would see. And I think you might say about art itself, because every community has local artists who paint landscapes and flowers and still life and, and they're beautiful, you know, but there's a lot of the, that kind of art out there, but it took Andy Warhol to take a Brillo box and say, that's art. And that sort of moves the yardsticks, uh, Rauschenberg with de Kooning that moved the yardsticks or, or broaden the envelope of the definition of art. And to me, that's the really exciting part of participating in art, in the art community. And is what can you do with the definition of it when it comes to your interpretation of how you want to uh, create something? And it's for others, in my mind, to decide whether or not it's art, because, you know, the old adage, art's in the eye of the beholder. But the actual act of it, whether people like it or not, I think is immaterial. I prefer to get a reaction, even if it's a bad one than a non-reaction. And uh, I, I'm hopeful that in your case, <laughs> when you do come into this, in, into this in whatever form you do that, whether it's a, a, a sound wave from Cyber FM or some other um, manifestation of, of your interpretation of what art can be, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about what that might be. I could probably do a, my blooper reels from my radio rock shows and then mark them explicit I got some pretty good ones of those. And that'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. I mean, if, if, if a song, then why not? And that's what I was saying at the beginning is, why not the spoken word? Why not? I mean, uh, you know, and you're really good with the editing knife, and, you know, the, the virtual editing knife, if you will. And I'll bet you that blooper reel is pretty cool. <laughs> not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Well, look, you know, look at the nudes. You know, you can't really, you know, a woman walking or man, for that matter, walking nude in a, in public is not really something that you see too often. Maybe it's illegal in some places. Maybe it's illegal everywhere. But how is it that you can, an artist can project the vision he has in he or she has in her in their mind about, you know, that nudity and put it on canvas or put it in a digital form and say, okay, that's okay. And somebody else says, oh, that's art. There's a nude person sitting, standing, lying, whatever. And that's... that's I believe uh, John and Yoko set that standard, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. What's going on at Cyber FM? What's, uh, we talked trucks. We talked NFTs. Talk about, uh, for a few moments, uh, Cyber FM. You've done some really cool things with crypto. And, and it's a good time to remind our listeners that uh, they can earn crypto by learning crypto uh, blockchain radio 
on the Cyber FM platform. Um, but what's what else is going on there? Business as usual. I've been trying to work on my shows. So, uh, you know, we have the crypto handlers doing all the technology and getting, you know, now that we have more and more people earning crypto while they learn about crypto, I get to focus on my passion and maybe we call it an art, right? I've been on the air more. I'm doing two shows a week, maybe doing a third. Now you and I are doing this. So that's the third too. And then um, really just focusing on the joy and the mass adoption for crypto is going to come by introducing people to something they're already familiar with. Like you guys might use art. We, we got to use radio. We've been doing contests. I call it the great cyber FM gas giveaway. And we'll do a trivia contest and I'll give away actual Ethereum to offset people's gas fees. We're Tron on the Tron network. And turns out it's just a genius marketing move. And everybody loves free money. I mean, that's what radio has been doing for decades. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, you, if you're the fifth caller, you can win $50 and that type of thing. Be the 10th caller and win yourself some free gas for Binance. That is pretty cool. I mean, that's, that's very novel. See, that's, that's an artistic act right there. You've created something. Um, maybe, maybe you caught wind of somebody doing a derivative of that, but, uh, and I don't know that that's the case, but that, isn't that the coolest? That's, that's, and how's the reaction from people? Oh, it's tremendous. You got to see my Twitter. I, I mean, and you know what? My fans know me better than I thought they would have known me. I mean, I got desperate at one point to not give away money. And I, I had played Lola by the Kinks early on last Saturday, uh, Tuesday. And my dog is named Lola. So I played Lola by the Kinks. And an hour later, I was like, okay, guys, what's the name of my dog? And if you were paying attention, you could figure it out. Yeah. And they worked at it. They worked at it. And they started yelling out on Twitter that my dog's name was Kink. And it just, I lost it at one point. I mean, uncontrollable laughter on the air, live. There was no editing it out. And I was like, guys, I can't name my dog Kink. I know I live in South Georgia, but come on. And then finally somebody, I think it was about 90 minutes in, they were like, Lola, buy the Kinks. And you know, I give away gas money. It was not the cool. Isn't that the humor was worth twice the amount? How does the um, so I got two ideas before we close out the show today? Uh, the first question is, how does that actually transfer over to somebody? Like, how do you transfer over gas fee? What am I if I'm winning that? Let's say, what am I getting? So I tell them that when you you have to, I put the contest up on Twitter, on Twitter, Twitter. And then I, I make the tweet and I'll go, you have to retweet or reply or you got to get a hold of me because I put the question in there and I go, I need you to put sci- uh, hashtag CyberFM, post the wallet address because I got to know how to pay you and post your answer. And using the timestamp on Twitter, we know who answers first. Yep. So you'd have to go hashtag CyberFM, wallet address, your dog's name is Lola. Boom. Okay. Oh, yeah. Got it. Got it. And then what happens? Like what happens sequentially after that? And I usually retweet out with quotes, really snarky and fun comments like, you know, your dog's name is Queen. And I go, nope, that's a great band. (laughs) You know, and then you wait until somebody finally gets it. I got it. 
right. it definitely creates social media interaction. Uh, yeah, and that's important to raise awareness, to raise engagement, um, and to raise collaboration and conversation. That's really good. I like that. All right, well, um, yeah, so uh, the second item I had, as I'm listening to you, I think I'm going to talk to you about it off air. And maybe we'll come back next week and talk about this. Uh, but let's see, because you got my mind percolating. And that's what I like. And that's what I hope our listeners get, uh, whether they're listening via blockchain radio. And you can reach us, blockchain.radio. That's our web address. And you can listen to us there or download us on your mobile through TuneIn and other platforms. But more importantly, CyberFM, because you can uh, earn crypto while you learn crypto. And to me, that's very important. It's easy. And I've got it on my own phone. And that's a really, really cool way to do it. And if they want to just get into Cyber FM, James, how do they do that? Uh, same thing as like you said, right? You're just going to take your browser, go over to cyberfmradio.com, right? You're going to click on whether or not you've got an Apple phone or an Android phone. Or and if you're overseas where Google is blocked, we have an alternative there with the Android logo. But basically, you're downloading the mobile app of your choice. And if you already have a wallet, you're going to see where to stick your wallet in the settings. Or if you don't have a wallet, like, you know, you're nine years old or you're 73 years old, you're getting new into crypto now, just log in with your email. Okay. And we create the wallet for you. Okay. And all you're doing is earning while you learn. And we create, and I'm speaking what you just said, and you create the wallet for them. That is such an important point here. Um, okay, so we're, we're talking on Cyber FM, we're talking on blockchain radio. Most people kind of know how to do that. But still, for a lot of people who are just coming into the space, and let's face it, most people are not yet in the space. So hello to you if you're just coming into the space. But th what James just said, there's a very important thing. W what a reduction in barrier to entry. What a reduction in friction right now. Because I'll tell you, if you haven't done it before, you're going to think you're, you know, you're, you're reading a foreign language trying to understand how to create a wallet because you haven't done it before unless somebody's walking you through it that first time. James just told you he's going to do it for you. That to me is like a huge jump. And our, and, and our cybersecurity is pretty good. We have not had one. I will say out of, I don't mind watching me jinx it, right? Knock on wood. I bet you with 37,000 wallets created, in the CyberFM mobile app, we have not had one breach. Fantastic. And that includes people that lost their seed words because we can't view private keys, but we can reset your seed words. So when you create a wallet in the CyberFM app, you could go ahead and ruin your phone. You could throw your phone in the bay or you could get robbed at a you know, gunpoint. You can always come back to us so we can restore your wallet. And that's not a feature you're going to get over at Coinbase. No, no. All right. That's food for thought for our listeners. I hope you enjoyed the show today and uh, we'll be back next week, James. I think we were on a roll here. You said we've two for two. We better be three for three next week. We're going all out. Go big or go home. Go big or go home. All right. You, thank you, James. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today and to be on Cyber FM with you. And uh, thank you as well for wherever you are and however you're listening to us. Thanks so much. Be safe. And uh, listen to us. We're I calling guess we're calling it crossover conversations. All right, crossover Maybe. conversations. And I think we'll start to I like it. We'll have to do hashtags on this crossover conversations. All right, James Tiley over at Cyber FM, Pierre Bork, Blockchain Radio. Thanks for listening and have a good week. <laughs>